Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to St. Paul's and a shout out if you're joining us online. It's really great to have you all with us here today. Uh, maybe you're curious or you're committed. Now here at St. Paul's, we try really hard to equip you to make the truly important choices in life, right? We want you to make them with integrity. We want you to make them with hope. Uber or Lyft? Coke or Pepsi? Rogers or Bell? Which is not really a choice because they're both bad and expensive. Now we know we shouldn't sweat the small stuff, major in the minors. Uh, don't miss the forest for the trees. And if you've got a boss who micromanages, you know how intensely irritating and demotivating that is. We're continuing in our teaching series, The Mission of Jesus, looking at what his work and his mission mean for our daily lives. Jesus is, uh, he's now 30 years old. Uh, he's been recruiting his team while coming under a substantial scrutiny from the religious leaders of the day, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And his increasing popularity has led to some simmering conflict with these leaders. And today, we heard Adriel read about how that conflict, it reaches ahead. The first conflict seems to be about sweating the small stuff, eating grain on the Sabbath. And the second seems to be about missing the forest for the trees, healing a sick man on the Sabbath. And in these two, odd to us, conflicts, we're going to see first that Sabbath is a gift, and what second, what Sabbath reveals. It's a gift and what it reveals for you, uh, regardless of whether you're curious this morning or, or already committed uh, to Jesus. So let's remember the context. Last week, if you were here, we saw Jesus being wined and dined uh, by a tax collector named Levi. Uh, roughly the social equivalent of a mafia don and uh, Jesus's latest recruit. The religious leaders were super curious about Jesus. And while he was certainly behaving in some unorthodox ways for a young man gaining a reputation as a rabbi, uh, they seemed to be eating what Jesus was cooking, right? They, they even seemed to be open to what his fellow Jews were now beginning to whisper about him. What if he is the Messiah? And so they were doing their due diligence, right? They were weighing up the evidence. After the big dinner party, a Sabbath rolls around. And as Jesus and his new recruits wander through a grain field, they take some of it and eat it. Now, the book of Deuteronomy makes provision, uh, if you're hungry, to take a grain. Uh, so the issue wasn't stealing. The issue was the timing. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Right thing, wrong time. Now this is so hard for us to understand because the Sabbath just doesn't rate high on our list of things we think God really cares about anymore. Like in our city, it's a badge of honor to be busy all the time, right? Whether it's in our paid employment uh, or if you participate in the world of competitive parenting. It's a thing. <laughs> but for the Jewish people, taking the Sabbath seriously. That was a badge of honor, a starkly visible, week in, week out, countercultural sign that they were God's people in a hostile world. Keeping the Sabbath made it to God's top 10, right up there with not committing adultery. In fact, it even went 
further back than that to creation. After God had created the world, God created Sabbath, and then God immediately availed God's self of it. And Jesus, uh, Sabbath was like a really big deal. And Jesus just seems so casual about breaking it. Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave them to his companions. What Jesus does is he reminds uh, the scribes and the Pharisees of a time in Israel's history uh, when young David, who was king in waiting, was on the run from his dangerously jealous father-in-law, King Saul, and David's given a pass because he's the king in waiting for eating uh, the priest's bread. And then there's a second conflict. This time, it's not about harvesting on the Sabbath, it's about healing on the Sabbath. What could be wrong with that? And at the time, the belief was that if someone had a life-threatening disease, you actually could heal them on the Sabbath. But this guy, withered hand, what's the rush? He could wait. If Jesus went ahead, he'd be guilty of breaking the Sabbath not once, but twice, which Jesus just big fat went and did. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and the hand was completely restored. What's interesting is Jesus doesn't say the Pharisees are wrong, and he implies he knows he's breaking some of the rules that have built up over the centuries to protect the Sabbath. The Pharisees, they're not the bad guys here. They wanted to do the right thing, and what Jesus is doing in their, in their eyes is flagrantly, even tauntingly, disobeying God in public. The Pharisees were right. That's not a joke. God is holy. God is a consuming fire. They're like, we're just going to stand over here in case uh, lightning strikes this new upstart rabbi from Nazareth. And this is where the Pharisees, they are our teachers today. Because the Sabbath is a big deal. They know it's a gift, a gift from our loving Heavenly Father. And it's a two-part gift. First, it's the gift of a boundary. After God had rescued the Israelites from slavery in ancient Egypt, God gave them the Ten Commandments, uh, ten loving laws to maximize freedom, maximize contentment. And the fourth commandment, to not work one day a week, was unique amongst world cultures at the time because it was a command for the entire society, including slaves, even animals, not just the affluent who get paid holidays and pension contributions. This weekly rhythm was a boundary, allowing lives to be sustainable. Because if work is a key aspect of a flourishing human life, and the Bible has a, a really positive view of work, then Sabbath is non-negotiable. Practicing Sabbath is a way to ensure that we are not slaves, even highly paid ones, that we're free people, free from your father's expectations or your law school's demands, free from your own uh, insecurities. Sabbath for our children ensures that we teach them how to be free, free from the need to be top of the class, free to be, uh, 
the need to be top of the sports league. Sabbath is the gift of a boundary against those relentless expectations of this city. Second part of the gift is the gift of being a creature, not being the creator. The Sabbath reminds us of the simple but powerfully important fact that we're not God. By being willing to put down our work, whether you're a baker or a banker, you're acknowledging that God is God. God is good. God is to be trusted. Sabbath is a weekly rhythm of trust. Trust that God is the one who keeps the world running. That God will administer justice in the face of evil and terror. God's the one providing for your family. And it's trust that it's not even you who's moving your work projects forward. Imagine that. Sabbath rest is acknowledging with great relief that we don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. We're just creatures, sinful ones at that. So God gives us Sabbath as a gift, not a reward for finishing our work at the end of the week, because there's always more work to be done. No, the Pharisees got it right. Sabbath is pure gift from a loving creator to his adored creation. That's why the Pharisees wanted to protect it. But what the Pharisees didn't get right is what Sabbath reveals. The Pharisees, they were right to be outraged by Jesus' seemingly cavalier attitude towards the Sabbath. They were right, unless, unless Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man was one of Jesus' favorite phrases. On a surface level, it just meant being human. But it was also a key messianic title from the Old Testament, uh, the Son of Man being uh, a divine. And when answering the Pharisees' criticism, do you remember about eating the grain? Um, Jesus focuses on himself. Remember how he drew a parallel between himself uh, what he did and what David did like a thousand years before. You might remember David had already been anointed uh, king, but he's on the run from King Saul, who's still sitting on the throne of Israel. And although David's been anointed as the future king, he still looked like a regular guy. He's running around, hiding with his ragtag group of followers, waiting for his kingship to become a reality, kind of like Jesus. The real issue wasn't whether it was right to do these things on the Sabbath. The real question is, who is Jesus being revealed to be? And Jesus boldly asserts his sovereignty, his kingship. He's the one person who can redefine how the Sabbath laws are experienced by everyday people, sweeping away all the burdensome legalities that have built up over the centuries that were now obscuring the real gift that Sabbath is. And the Pharisees, oh boy, they instantly saw that Jesus just pulled a power move, asserting his sovereignty over the Sabbath, something only God, the creator of the Sabbath, could do. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Apparently, it was not cool to heal on the Sabbath, but it was okay to plot murder. If the Sabbath is a gift from a loving creator to his creation, uh, the Sabbath encounter also reveals 
who the creator is, Jesus, the name above all names, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. And not only is Jesus Lord of the Sabbath, but Jesus is also revealed as our Sabbath. And if you're curious about what it means to follow Jesus, I want you to know this. You can stop running. You don't need to run anymore from whatever guilt, whatever shame is clawing at you. It usually claws at night. Uh, you, you can lay that down because Jesus already knows it and he, and he still loves you. You can lay down any burden you might be carrying today of thinking you need to earn God's love. You need to earn God's forgiveness because you don't. It's already there for the taking. You don't need to keep sweating to build your identity on your career, sweating to build your identity on the success of your relationships. They're going to let you down one way or another. It's just a matter of time. Because your hope and identity, it can now rest in God's love for you. You can rest from all of that running, all of that sweating. Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. Today is the 181st AGM of St. Paul's Blur Street. God has been faithful to this community for several generations now, longer than Confederation or Rogers, CIBC or the Jays. And because we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the fullness of God's divine presence right here with us this morning by the power of his spirit. We sang about that. Because we believe that here, that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, he's also Lord of the future. So we get to plan today with hope. Regardless of uh, what unfolds in the Middle East, right, or the twists or turns that a recession is now presumably going to take. And we're going to be able to continue to reach out and heal like Jesus did. Our outreach ministries are growing. Multiple refugee sponsorships. Our ESL cafe is packed on Monday nights. And money's being raised to care for those who are struggling, both locally and globally. Get involved. There's a serve page on our website. Talk to Ben. He's on a roll. We're also open to the new directions that the Holy Spirit is calling us into. To becoming a church that realizes we will serve more people through multiplication than simply addition. If you're in a connect group, don't just add a few new people to your connect group. Multiply. Equip some as leaders. Start a whole new connect group. Then do it again. We're planning to multiply out of this building rather than simply building ourselves bigger, which would be great for my ego, but that's not the point. By starting a new worshiping community, as Nathan said, in the afternoon at St. George's by OCAD. And then, if God continues to be merciful to us, we will take another downtown church where the congregation has died and we will multiply again. This multiplication strategy will enable us to serve a larger and more diverse group of people in the downtown core. We're planning a budget that calls for a necessary increase in the financial givings from this community, a tangible way for each of us, whether you earn a little uh, or a lot, to say yes to the privilege of partnering with the work of God. And while these hope-filled plans will undoubtedly hit speed bumps in the coming years, they're risky, 
definitely going to be stressful. We are not going to sweat the small stuff. And we're going to keep our eyes fixed on the only one who has any authority to command us to do any of this in the first place, Jesus. Because he's Lord of the Sabbath and therefore Lord of the future. Thanks be to God. Amen.